Thanks, Pete. Uh, stay there, friends, in Genesis 26, our next uh, bit in this series, The God of All Faithfulness, as we journey through uh, the book of Genesis together. I take it that prayers, uh, Pete's prayer from earlier, uh, from Hebrews chapter 3, that today, when we hear God's voice, we wouldn't harden our hearts. I take it that prayer still stands for our time together now. Um, You'll be happy to know I found a good website for us this week where we can buy evangelistic clothing. And uh, this was one of the hats that I found. Uh, it says on it the Latin phrase. I don't know how evangelistically effective Latin phrases are. Um, simul justus et precator. And I'll be corrected later. Um, is a, a phrase from the Reformation some 500 years ago. Um, that states something that gets to the very heart of who Christians are and what we believe. At the same time, righteous and a sinner. It's an amazing reality, isn't it? That at the same time, you can be righteous in God's sight, even as you know you are a sinner before God. That in and of ourselves, under God's scrutiny... We are sinners, but by faith in Jesus, God sees us as righteous. Jesus' righteousness transferred to our account. The righteousness that we could never earn or achieve has been given to us, and our sin given to Jesus as he lives the life that we couldn't live and dies the death that we deserve. That's the very heart of what it means to be a Christian at the same time, righteous and a sinner. That was true of Abraham, our father, in the book of Genesis, the man through whom God chose to form a new family and then a nation by which he would bring about the renewal of all things and the salvation of his people. And this is our family history that we talked about last week, that this is our family, the family into which we can be adopted uh, if we put our faith in Jesus as Saviour and King. Abraham was at the same time righteous and a sinner. Uh, Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and that, that faith, was credited to him as righteousness. And so we have this reality, this paradox, as it were, that we are righteous and sinners at the same time, which is very consistent with the rest of the Christian life, there are lots of paradoxes, things that look contradictory and yet at the same time they're true, that we are citizens of heaven and yet we're still pilgrims in this world. We are righteous yet we are sinners. We possess eternal life and yet we're still living in very broken bodies. We've been given peace and yet we experience a lot of trouble. We have to hold those mixed blessings together at the same time because they're not only part of God's plan to make us more like Jesus, that those mixed blessings are also part of God's plan to bring many people from among the nations to see his goodness and turn back to him and trust him as Saviour and Lord. So we need to hold those things together so that God can make us more like Jesus 
And we need to hold those things together so that people can taste and see that God is good and come and put their faith in him as well. Uh, That's what we want to see happen. Uh, When we kick against those mixed blessings, when we try to claim too much of heaven's perfection now, when we try to claim too much that we are righteous and not sinners or sinners and not righteous by faith in Jesus, while we try to claim peace and avoid trouble or just sit in the trouble and not experience the peace, when we kick against the mixed blessings of life in God's world by His grace, when we kick against that, we rob ourselves of joy and peace and we rob the world of salt and light. And so what I think we have in this episode of Genesis 26 before us today is a great example from Isaac of how we can hold those things together so that we can have the joy and peace as we trust in God and so that the world gets salt and light as they watch us trust in God and have the joy and peace. Do you see how it works? This is what Jesus told us life was going to be like on the night before he died. Do you remember that? Now, this is what he says to his disciples on the night before he died, uh, that you'll see on the screen from John 15. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's what we talked about last week, right? Belonging to Jesus is about God's sovereign choice. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command, love each other. The very next words from Jesus' mouth. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Right? So Jesus has chosen us to bear much fruit, fruit that will last for his kingdom, by loving one another. And at the same time, the reality will be hatred by the world because we don't belong to the world anymore, we belong to Jesus. Jesus concludes this, all this teaching the night before he dies by saying this. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's the great promise. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There's two realities all at the same time. Peace from Jesus, trouble in the world. We have to hold those two things together so that we get the joy and the peace and the world gets salt and light as they watch us trust in Jesus in the midst of trouble. And Isaac, I think, gives us a good example of this. It's his only chapter, really, in the book of Genesis. Uh, He kind of got swept up with his father's story in the previous sections And uh, in the very next chapter, the focus of Jacob and Esau will take over, even as it sort of did already last week. Here's kind of the one episode of Isaac's adult life that we get in this book, chapter 26. He gives us this great example of growing in grace and displaying God's grace 
And he lives with the mix of these things, holding these tensions together. And so I want us to see the, th- the mixed blessings. There's four of them, I think. Here they are, you see on the screen. Living by grace, it's mixed with trial and promise. It's mixed with faith and fear. It's mixed with fruitfulness and persecution. It's mixed with salt and light. That's what we want to see as we hold those tensions together and as we live as God's people who belong to him in this family as we wait for Jesus to return. Let's look at the first one then, trial and promise. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 26 with me. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him keeping my commands, my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Uh, Now a famine in the land, in the Middle East, is a desperate thing. Uh, We've just been struggling with lettuce, haven't we? Uh, And it's hard to kind of get your head around what it's like to be in an actual famine, uh, where food and water are scarce, and you're in the middle of the hot desert, And you need water. The temptation, the obvious thing to do is to go to Egypt, where the water of the Nile is readily available and relief can be found. God says to Isaac, don't do that. I am with you. He doesn't need to go and relieve his circumstances. In the midst of this trial, he can trust in God. God says he is with him and he is to stay put to stay where he is. There's a wonderful picture of faith as Isaac says, okay. Everything about the circumstance says don't do that. Everything about the circumstance says get out of there. God says stay, so Isaac stays. And it's not as if he's staying in the midst of somewhere where you know, apart from the famine there's relative safety. He's in the midst of the Philistines There's enemies around. There's big, scary, powerful enemies that can do a lot of damage to Isaac and his family. But in the midst of the trial, God reaffirms his promises and he restates that the promises made to Abraham are continuing into the next generation. I will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. The promises stand. Land, offspring, blessing. And through you, blessing to all nations. So the promise to Abraham continues to the next generation. It's it's interesting, isn't it, that God says of Abraham, God's commitment to the promises exists because Abraham obeyed me in everything and did everything I required of him. That's not true. Right? Do you remember all the times back in Genesis 12 to 25 that Abraham's like, 
no, not doing that. <laughs> That's too dangerous. That's not smart. I need to take things into my own hands and achieve God's promises for him because he's a bit slow or incapable of doing it. But from God's perspective, in the next generation, he says of Abraham, Abraham was righteous by faith. He obeyed everything I command. Isn't that amazing? That God chooses to view Abraham's life as that of obedient because he trusted God's promises. He didn't do it perfectly. But in the economy of God, as far as God sees, by grace, not counting Abraham's sins against him, but crediting him with righteousness, God sees Abraham's obedience as perfect. I hope that's encouraging. That if God can say that of Abraham, he can say that of you and me. By faith in Jesus, not counting our sins against us, God sees us as obedient as righteous, not because we do it perfectly, but if our faith is in Jesus. It's going to be important, isn't it? To keep fueling our faith when hard things come, to know that God sees us as obedient and righteous in his sight by faith in Jesus. I hope that encourages you that you don't need, as Adam has already said, and God's providential organising of the service today. You don't need to pretend. You can tell the truth to God. You don't need to hide your sin and you can tell the truth to one another. We don't need to hide our sin. We can be real because we know that there is forgiveness, that God doesn't count our sins against us, that by faith in Jesus, he sees us as righteous and obedient. And so when we do sin, when we do falter, when we do fall, we don't need to wallow in that sin but we can, we can stand back up again, trusting in God's promises, knowing there is forgiveness. We can confess our sins and move forward in grace. And it's important to know that because when the trials come, we need to know that they're not punishment for sin and they're not reason to blame God or run from God, but they're reason for us to trust God. In the midst of trial, there are promises that we can cling to, like Isaac does in the midst of this famine, and we can keep moving forward by faith in grace. And we go from this and we think, awesome, we can keep moving forward by faith in grace, and then we fall at the very next moment. Well, Isaac does. Pick it up at verse 7, where we see faith and fear. When the men of that place ask Isaac about his wife, he said, she is my sister. And all of us go, oh, here we go again. Just like his father. Just like his father, Abraham. When confronted with the big, scary men of the Philistines, understandable, men who could do a lot of damage, both to Isaac and to Rebekah, in the midst of fear... He says, I better say she's my sister. Because if I say she's my wife, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Isaac believed God, he affirmed God's promises, and then he falls over when he's confronted with a fearful with a fearful scenario. 
It's encouraging, I guess, in the sense that Isaac is not sinlessly perfect, just like his father Abraham and just like you and me. But Isaac continues to move forward. In the midst of fear, there is still faith. He's still in that place. He's fallen at that little point, at that, well, significant point of calling Rebekah his sister. And when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. And here's the remarkable thing that we see time and time again in the Bible, that Abimelech acts with more righteousness, apparently, than Isaac, more integrity at least, and he seeks to provide for Isaac and Rebekah and make sure no one lays a finger on her. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac's fallen in the midst of his fear and yet he stays He stays in Gerar. He's still seeking, if imperfectly, to trust the promises of God, that God is with him and that God will provide for him. And so he stays. Have a look at verse 12. Isaac then planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him despite acting out of fear instead of faith. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He also had many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Again, in the midst of a famine, to stop up wells and to get rid of water... Right, They're trying to wipe out Isaac and his family and that that strategy could succeed very easily. In the midst of their envy of God's blessing, they seek to get rid of Isaac and his family. And so he's acting in fear but also faith. But because God is with him and keeping his promises, in the midst of that faith, God brings fruitfulness... And the next mix of blessings that they have to hold together is fruitfulness and persecution. So, have a look at verse 17. So, Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names as his father had given them. He wants to continue in the same family line. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley, discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herders of Gerar quarrelled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarrelled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarrelled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Right, The flourishing in the land comes as Isaac continues to trust God's promises and to stay in Gerar and he continues to dig wells to provide for his family and his flocks in order that they might trust God's promises and stay in that place. But 
The persecution comes as the, the Philistine herdsmen, as well as those who are filling up the other wells, continue to dispute over the water. That's our water, we want that water. And what does Isaac do in the midst of that persecution? He just says, righto. Okay. Okay, you can have it. And he moves on. I love this scene of Isaac because he's just so unproblematic. He's so low maintenance. He's just kind of like, as a neighbour in the midst of the Philistine land, he's like, okay, well... If you want that, God's going to be with us and God's going to provide, we're just going to move on. And he continues to seek to live at peace in the midst of the Philistines. The the verse that I have in mind is from Romans 12 that says, um, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what Isaac's trying to do live at peace in the midst of the Philistines, even as they continue to take away water from his family and his flocks. In the midst of that, God continues to be with him. That's the promise all the way through this passage. God says, I am with you. I am with you. And I will bless you. And so the fruitfulness continues to be on show even as the Philistines seek to do everything to take it away from Isaac and his family. But God continues to provide as they continue to hold loosely even to the things that they've set up a great trouble and in the midst of famine to have their wells taken off them. Imagine how desperate they must have felt. But here's that picture of holding loosely to the things of this life and trusting in the provision of God. That God will be faithful. That we don't need to grasp at it because he will provide. Again, later on in the book of Hebrews where it says, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you know that you have a better and lasting possession. As the persecutors of the first century church go from house to house saying, that's my house, that's our stuff, that's our money. And the weak Christians who won't fight back, who joyfully accept the confiscation of their property, who joyfully accept being marginalised and pushed to the outside, Because their hope is not in the things of this life. Their hope is not in the homes and the possessions and the wells and the flocks. It's in God and his provision. So Isaac is willing to move. He's willing to hold loose and give up things. As he grows in grace and continues to trust in God's promises. Now, for you and me, the kind of fruitfulness that we're to expect in this life isn't material fruitfulness like sowing seed and reaping a hundredfold. God promises to us not material blessings, but to grow us in his grace through the fruit of the Spirit. 
that as you grow in patient faith, as you grow in persevering trust and joyful hope and sacrificial love and kind generosity, as you grow in all those things and God changes you to make you more like Jesus and gives you the joy and peace that comes from trusting him, the expectation... Well, that with that doesn't come an increasingly easy and comfortable life. But as Paul says, that anyone who would want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be comfortable, secure. No, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will be ridiculed will be left out, will be passed over, will be spoken ill of. Even as they grow in grace, even as they grow in the fruit of the Spirit and look more and more like Jesus, that fruitfulness will also bring with it persecution. That is to be the expectation of Jesus and his people. I wonder if that's your expectation. The temptation, I think, when we think about fruitfulness and persecution is that there are things of the Christian life that the world will envy, like the Philistines did. Seeing God's provision of joy and peace in the midst of trial. Seeing what comes from family relationships that are built on forgiveness and reconciliation. Of workers who are respectful and kind, who have integrity and who seek to graciously give of themselves for the sake of others. There is something in that that is very attractive And the world will continue to applaud as long as mixed with that attractiveness there doesn't come a a challenge to repentance and faith. And so the world will applaud and be envious when we do good things, when we feed the poor. Our neighbours love that. It's a good thing for us to be doing. To have multiple meals on our site every week where people in need can come, they can find help, they can find hope, they can find meals. It's a wonderful thing for us to be doing and the world will applaud. But as soon as we say it's because of Jesus and his call to repentance and faith, that's where you'll get metaphorical rocks thrown at the integrity of the church. And the temptation that comes with that is that you want to do more of the things that get the applause and less of the things that get the persecution. And so it's easier to keep your mouth shut and not talk about Jesus. It's easier just to get on board with the doing good things and the feeding of the poor without speaking about Jesus and the life and hope that comes through forgiveness of sins and repentance and faith. Fruitfulness and persecution that will go together. 
But in the face of persecution, Isaac was a low-maintenance sojourner in the land of the Philistines. (laughs) Okay. That's okay. My hope is not in my reputation. My hope is not in the things of this life. My hope is in the promises of God and his eternal faithfulness. And so what did Isaac do? He stayed in the land, continued to dig for water. Pick it up at verse 24. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you. I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So what does Isaac do? He builds an altar there and calls on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent and his servants dug a well. God reaffirms, I am here. I am with you. You can stay here. And so they dig a well. They dig a well, they pitch their tents and they build an altar Because what happens when you're living by grace and God continues to provide and God continues to affirm his promises and God continues to work out his purposes in the world, what we're called to then do, like Isaac, is to respond. He doesn't build an altar and worship the Lord in order that he might grab God's attention and kind of wrestle from God's hands the blessings of the land and the protection from their enemies. God affirms, I am with you. I am keeping my promises. I am faithful for my purposes. You can trust me so you can stay here. And Isaac responds by coming before the Lord in worship to give to God what he deserves, what he is worth. as he continues to trust in God's gracious provision. Friends, I wonder if that's how you respond. Not out of fear of what's going on around you. Not of anxiety of what persecution might come our way or has come our way. The things that we're left out on, the relationships we lose. But trusting in God's promises, do you respond to his grace by faith, by fruitfulness, and by the same kind of responsive worship that Isaac brought before God, that says, in the midst of these circumstances, knowing God's promises, I will call on the name of the Lord and give him what he deserves. Continue to let him dictate terms on my life. Continue to prioritise giving to him the thanks and the praise that, is, that, he is, that he deserves, that is due to him because of what he has done for you. And if you do that, if in the midst of persecution and trial, we respond with faith and fruitfulness by the Spirit of God, I think then that God not only grows us more like Jesus, but he puts on display the attractiveness of his grace that will be salt and light to the nations. Have a look at how this finishes, verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, 
his personal advisor and Fico, the commander of his forces, Isaac asked them, what is it now? You've come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away. And they answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. And so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm. Just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Seeing Isaac's trust in the Lord and God's blessing and fruitfulness that comes from a relationship with the God who keeps his promises, the nations come to Isaac and say, we need to be under the covenant that you have with your Lord. We need the protection and the provision of God. Isn't that a wonderful picture? The patient faith, the persevering trust, the joyful hope that they see in Isaac and his family leads them to jealousy and leads them through jealousy to come and seek the protection of Yahweh, the promise-making and promise-keeping God. Friends, if we're to grow in grace as we trust in God's promises by his spirit, not only will we look more like Jesus, but we will display to the world the joy and the hope, the peace and the strength that comes from being in Jesus and his family, being righteous by faith. And as we take our part in his family of making disciples among the nations, our lives and our words continue to call people from every tribe and nation and language to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And here, the very simple, the very everyday lives of faith in God that persevere through the mixed blessing of being saved sinners in a broken world, longing for the perfection of Jesus, we can also be salt and light to the nations calling people to come and taste and see that the Lord is good I'm going to pray that our lives might reflect that let's pray together our father we thank you for the amazing reality that we are at the same time righteous and still sinners That because of Jesus' perfect life and his sin-bearing death, we can know the reality of sins forgiven and the hope of sharing in your glory as we wait and we walk through trial and persecution. May you enable us to respond with faith, with lives of obedience, holding loosely to the things of this world, so that we might grow more like Jesus and be salt and light to the nations. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.